Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you here. Uh, whether you are a regular, long-time attender, or perhaps visiting this morning, uh, or if you're joining us online, it's great to have you with us. I am still blown away and blessed and thrilled that we can do this uh, so that people are able to join us at least in spirit, even if they cannot in person. Uh, I'm often, in fact, this has happened many times to myself or to other members of the pastoral team where we meet somebody uh, who perhaps we think is a first-timer here at White Rock Baptist, and, and we greet them as such. And then we discover that, well, actually, they've been a part of the church for like six months. Uh, they've just been online. Uh, and, and this is their church, and we're glad that you're able to do that. Uh, of course, if you're in the area, we would love to greet you in person, shake hands uh, in a COVID-friendly way, of course. Um, and have you here with us. Uh, if you are joining us for the first time this morning, uh, or let me rephrase that, if you missed last Sunday, last Sunday I preached a message from Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. And it's a portion of Scripture where the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi, and speaking to Christians, so we can say that Paul is speaking to us as well. And the Apostle Paul speaks about how important it is that we strive, that we make every effort in our Christian walk. It's that reminder that we do not grow in Christ just by accident. And of course, we know that. We know that from life. If we want to do something, if we want to grow, if we want to achieve, uh, it takes discipline. It takes sacrifice. It takes hard work. Uh, so we understand that if that's the case in, in pretty much every area of life, then sure, surely it would be the same in our Christian journey, that there should be some effort. There should be a uh, work on our part as we seek to become more like Christ. Now, of course, there's a danger. If I only preach that message, or, or if I only refer to scriptures where Paul says, work out your salvation, make every effort, strain, strive, work, if I only focus on those, we run the risk of getting to that place of thinking, oh, okay, well, uh, if I want to be in a better standing with God, well, then it's based on what I do. And so then we start to think, well, if I read my Bible a little bit more, if I pray a little bit more, if I go to church a little bit more, if I give a little bit more, if I sacrifice a little bit more, well, then God will love me a little bit more than somebody else. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with reading your Bible. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear. We should be reading our Bible. Uh, we should be praying. We should be gathering together. We should be giving. We should be sacrificing but none of those things in and of themselves do anything for our salvation. We cannot earn our way into the presence of God. It is purely a gift of grace. And it's this idea of grace that we have to hold in tension with that idea of striving. There's this pull between the two. And often we kind of think, well, either it's works or either it's grace, and, and we go to these extremes, when in actual fact, grace is that foundation that then allows us to go on. And so we have to hold them in tension. And so this morning, I want to consider grace just for a little bit. Grace is, is one of those words that's sometimes difficult to describe. 
if you pray for your meal before you eat your meal, you might be inclined to go, well, that's grace. Uh, and if you ask a child, that's probably what they're going to think. No, that's not grace. Grace is the gift of God. It is a free, unmerited gift. Some of you might know the acrostic for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And there we, we have this idea that we receive from God these riches that Christ has paid for. In fact, we, we, we unpack that a little bit more and we say that Jesus received what he did not deserve so that we would receive what we cannot earn. Jesus received our sin and the punishment for that, which he did not deserve, so that we would receive life and we would receive forgiveness and we would receive redemption and salvation, things that we cannot earn, because it is through Jesus Christ. Imagine it like this. If I do my job and I work according to my contract and my contractual obligations in my place of employment, if I do my job as I'm expected to do, I get paid for that job. That's wages. Uh, if I compete in an event, let's say I compete in a race, and I win that race, I receive a medal. That's a prize. If I help out around the house and I do my chores and I check off a couple of items from the honey-do list, I can go out and play with my friends. That's a reward. That doesn't happen too much. Let me not go there. But when someone gives me something that I have not worked for, that I have not earned, that I have not won, when they give me something that I could not afford or purchase, and there's no way I could ever repay them, but they still give it to me with no strings attached, with no expectations, that's grace. It is unmerited favor. And this is what grace is. The Bible makes it very clear that we are saved by grace. And so just like last week, I spoke about how we have to strive. When it comes to this image of grace, we have to learn to surrender. We have to learn to rest and trust in Jesus Christ through this gift of grace. In fact, I can, I can illustrate it in a way. Uh, when I was back in Cape Town many, many years ago, I surfed. Uh, it's one of the few things that I truly miss about South Africa, along with my mom and dad, who are probably watching. Love you guys. But when I used to surf, I used to teach teenagers in our youth group how to surf as, surf as well. And one of the foundational beginning things that I would do with young surfers, whether they're on a surfboard or a bodyboard, is I would take them into waves of manageable size, and I would make sure that they wipe out on their first wave so that that wave smashes them under the water. Cindy's laughing because I tried this with her and it backfired tremendously. <laughs> but part of why I would do that with these youngsters and I would explain to them when that wave is pushing you under, do not fight it. If you fight it, you will drown. What you need to do is simply relax. Conserve your energy. 
Because it is the nature of a wave, no matter how big it is, to churn you like a washing machine and then spit you out the back. And that will take place in less than 10 seconds. Just relax. Just trust and rest and you will be okay. Fight it and you will die. And that's the image of grace. It's resting and trusting in God. We cannot work our way into heaven. We cannot work our way into the presence of God. We cannot earn this favor, this goodness. We cannot earn our our, our redemption. We have to trust God. You know, when I think of sin, and and we're going to touch on that in a moment, it kind of makes me think about those escape rooms. How many of you know what an escape room is? Anybody know what? Okay, I see a couple of hands. So for those of you who either were too embarrassed to put up your hand because you're an introvert, or you really don't know what an escape room is, an escape room is this little room that you and your family or your friends uh, get locked into. And the room has a whole bunch of clues so that you can try and figure out where the key is or what the combination is, and, and you find out how to get out of that room. In fact, it's, it's all the rage at the moment. There are a number of escape rooms in our area, uh, and I know plenty of people that have gone to them. Now, imagine getting into an escape room where there is literally no way out. And you're trying to work out the the codes. You're trying to work out the combinations. You're trying to find the keys. But they do not exist. There are no keys. There are no combinations. And we keep going in circles. And our allotted time runs out. This is what sin is. We are trapped in that sin room that we cannot get out of on our own accord. We need somebody to help open that door. That someone is Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, we're holding in tension Philippians chapter 3. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2. If you have it on your Bible, uh, paper copy, I know that's old school. You should have it on your phone or a device. And if you don't have any of those, we'll have it on the screen behind me. I'm reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of death. I need a bigger font because I've lost my space. (laughs) But, verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you notice there at verse 1 how it starts? As for you, you were dead. We're stuck in that sin room. There is no hope of life. There is no hope of getting out. We are dead. In fact, the words used where we are dead in our trespasses or transgressions and sins. And the Greek word there, or the Greek words using for transgressions and trespasses or sins, imply two different things. One is the idea of the sin we do by accident. And we all do that from time to time. We, we all break a law we don't plan to. We all sin we don't plan to. And it kind of just happens by accident. But then also there are those times where we know we're sinning. It's that time when you're having a conversation with someone and you lie, even when inside your head it's going, that's a lie. And you're like, well, I'm just going to keep going with it. It's okay. doesn't matter. And so we have these sins. And it is because of the sin that we are dead. It's not that we're just in a little bit of trouble. It's not that we're kind of, you know, just need somebody to give us a little lift up or something like that. You know, we're, we're kind of just stumbling along. No, we're dead. And I don't know if you know this about dead bodies, but dead bodies do nothing of their own volition. They're dead. We are dead in our sins. But, and I tell you what, I love that word when I find it in Scripture. But... Because Paul gives this glorious glimpse of hope in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, he says, But because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. But... But because of God's incredible, unstoppable, unmatchable, unmistakable love, God made us alive. How? By grace. Because again, dead bodies can do nothing. They cannot earn anything. They cannot be rewarded for anything. Dead bodies just lie around and stink up the place. For it is by grace, in verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And these are great words from Paul. That's the good news. That we are saved by this incredible, unmerited gift of grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul explains that even our faith is not from us. It's still a gift of God. It's not by works. Otherwise, we would boast. Could you imagine the whole bunch of us in glory? And I don't know what that's going to look like. I've got some thoughts, but I don't really know. But could you imagine us sitting around a table in heaven trying to figure out how did you get in? Well, you know, I was, I was really good. 
Like when I drove my car and never swore at anyone, like Pastor Brian, you know, he lost points for that. But I guess Pastor Brian kind of loved Jesus and spoke from the Word, so he got more points there. And we're trying to compare everything, and we start to boast as to why we're there, how we got there. It's absurd. And Paul says, no, it's by grace, so that no one can boast. Now, I know Paul goes on to those good works, but those good works flow out of that foundation of grace. It's not that we don't ever do stuff. It's not that we don't ever work. But those works never save us. It is purely by grace. I think this is what Paul meant when he was writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, this isn't up on the screen, but I want to read just a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 to 15. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their works will be shown for what they are. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what it has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though there is only one escaping through the fires. And so Paul's point here is our foundation is laid. Nobody lays a foundation. It is laid in Jesus Christ. And then we build up from there. We don't understand the rewards that await us in glory. I don't even want to go there. I know God will, will weigh the way we've lived and, and, and look at what we've done and, and call those to account. But the foundation is secure. The salvation is there. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. That is how we receive life. Not through what we do. No one will get in by their own doing. In fact, Jesus writes, uh, sorry, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, to the scribes, the teachers of the law. Matthew records for us in Matthew 23, verse 27, Jesus speaking, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And Jesus is taking on the scribes and the Pharisees, and Jesus is saying, you look good on the outside, but inside, just like a tomb that has been whitewashed, there is death and decay. And part of the reason the tombs have been whitewashed in those days where the Jews knew that to go near an unclean body or a dead body sorry, would be to make them unclean. And so it was, was symbolized with that whitewash. And so now it looks good, but there's death underneath. How many of you remember, now I'm going back and, and I've done this already, so let's go again. How many of you remember the MTV show, Pimp My Ride? Probably only if you're kind of in your 40s, maybe. <laughs> Years back, there was a TV show called Pimp My Ride. Now, if you don't know what Pimp My Ride is, basically what they would do is they would find this old beaten up hunk of junk car. You know, the, the kind of car that's been sitting in somebody's garage, rusting away, covered in dust, maybe in a yard with some tarp over it, and it's just, it's hideous. 
And then they would take this car and they would just completely trick it out. They would give it a whole new paint job, new tires. They would, sometimes they would just go way out. I mean, I remember one car literally had an espresso machine where the, the parking brake was. You know, they, they, they totally tricked this thing out. There was another guy who loved his Xbox. So they basically built his trunk into this whole entertainment area where he would open up the trunk and there was a TV inside the trunk with his Xbox and controllers and, and he could play you know, so they did all this stuff. They made the cars look great. But I was always frustrated with the premise. Because they made the cars look amazing, but they did nothing to the engine. That car is still a hunk of junk. It's still spluttering. It just looks a whole lot better now. And Jesus says, that's what we're like. Doesn't... Whoops doesn't matter how much you try and do the outside. It doesn't matter how much paint you slap on a car or yourself. If the inside has not been changed, it is dead. It is like a tomb. Only God can bring life where there is death. None of us can bring life to ourselves. Only God brings that transformation, and he does it through grace. Now, of course, some of you might be sitting there going, well, Brian, I have a question. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, there are places in Scripture where we're told to do. We're told to follow the Lord. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Aren't we supposed to do these things? Now, I'm glad you asked. Because Paul answers this in Romans chapter 3, and verse 20. Paul says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. You see, the law was given so that we would know that by nature we are sinners. The law shows us that we mess up. The law is there so that when we start to lie, we are reminded, didn't God say don't lie? Didn't God say don't steal? Don't lust? Don't kill? All those things? The observance of that does nothing for us. All that does is it shows us that we are sinners and that we need someone to intervene for us. And we cannot rid ourselves of our own sin. And that's the point, which I know for many of us is so frustrating because we like to be in control. You know, it's that expression, if it's to be, it's up to me. And we think that translates into our spiritual journey with God. We want to be in control of our own walk, our own faith. And we think that we should be able to do, but God says, no. You cannot save yourself from your sin. God alone deals with sin. In fact, as I've just read from Romans chapter 3, Paul goes on. Some of you might know the Roman road to salvation found in Romans 3, but Paul says not only does the law show us our sin, Paul goes on in Romans 3 verse 23 and he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I know some of you are sitting here this morning or perhaps watching online and going, Brian, who are you to call me a sinner? I'm not saying that. The Bible is. We all sin. 
We might sin differently, but we all sin. And because of our sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. But, but, Paul goes on in verse 24, all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did that to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. That is God at His best. I mean, God is always at His best, obviously. But when, when we read that, And we realize that we've all sinned and we're all deserving of this punishment of the separation because our sin separates us from God. But then in in the same breath, Paul goes on to show, but we're not left in that state. We receive life. And that life comes through grace. And yes, the, the Bible uses that big theological word propitiation. And sometimes we we get hung up on what is exactly what does that mean? And basically, propitiation means satisfaction or, or appeasement. And because God is infinitely and eternally holy, His anger and His justice burns against sin. And by His nature, that sin must be punished. The problem for you and I is that sin is encased with our skin. But God in His love does not want to destroy us. And so God, by His grace, covers that sin through Jesus Christ because Christ would become our substitute. That's what we will reflect on and remember in a moment when we gather at the communion table. It's not about a whole bunch of rules. It's about relationship. It's not about striving and straining and working as though we work our way into the presence of God. It's about resting and trusting, and allowing God to do what only God can do. I want to close off with these words from God through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, the Lord says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, They shall become like wool. We receive grace. My brothers and sisters, I don't know where you are in your journey with God. As I've said before and will say again, we're all on a journey with God. God simply invites us to trust Him and to rest in His work. Let's pray together. Father God, as I contemplate your word to us through the Apostle Paul, I confess that often Philippians 3 is easier to stomach than Ephesians 2. Because in Philippians 3, I feel like I'm in control. Because I can strive, I can do, I can work. But God, you remind us that we can never do enough. We can never earn our way into your presence, for we are sinners, tainted by sin. But God, but 
God who is rich in love and mercy. God, I thank you that you understood we could never do what needed to be done. We could never earn. And so you took that into your hands. And you came to earth. And you paid the price that we could not pay. You received what you did not deserve so that we could receive what we could not earn. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remind us daily for it is by grace you are saved. And then once we take full awareness of that, God, we would go out and do those things that you've prepared for us to do with a sense of joy and gratitude, not doing them to earn, doing them to declare your praises. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.